Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are live. Different time. I'm Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar Review. Welcome to another edition of Folk Sock and Sports with me and Yanez, star of Les Rage Cougs, the unofficial post-game show of Houston Cougars football. Another star, rising star in the making, James Mueller. He's got fans all over the place now. <laughs> uh, sports <clears throat> editor of the Daily Cougar. Young man, how are you? Doing well. Great, great, great. Andy, how are you? I'm, I'm watching. I'm looking at my phone, watching the end of the Las Vegas Aces-Seattle Storm game here, which has seen buckets in the last five seconds <laughs> from both teams. And Age Wilson travel, made a layup. No call on travel. She did travel. Sue Bird, who's almost – no, no, she's not. She's older than you guys. He had a clutch corner three-pointer to put the team up two with half second left. And it looks like – Las Vegas tied the game up on a layup after an inbounds with under a second on the clock. So it's going to overtime. Yeah. Tied 92. Game three of the WNBA semifinal series there. I know some folks tune in, probably rolling their eyes in their head. Chris, 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 why are you talking about WNBA? Because I can. Um, but we're going to talk about the Cougs a little bit more. Willie Gibson should be joining us from Ohio shortly. I'm happy to say that uh, the Twitter is working today so with the tweet. So that's good. I'm not sure what happened last week, but it's working now. So I'm going to copy and paste and have the scroll from Mr. Yanez's uh, banner yesterday for uh, Les Rage Cougs, the post-game show. Of the, if you haven't caught it, shame on you. <laughs> but you can go to, uh, I think, what, Possum Gem Twitter? Pot, uh, Pot Slime and Jam on Twitter. There, it's also on the Pot Slime and Jam on Spotify and Apple Podcast uh, playlist. And then, obviously, of course, they can play it back on the Houston Round Bar Review YouTube channel. And last I saw on YouTube, with nearing 400 views. So, kudos to you guys, to you, Andy, Dayon Dunlap, Akib, and Justin Barbosa. Great job. A lot of positive feedback. James was able to join, was able to submit. High Tech World sent clips of Coach Hogerson's press conference to Andy to play during the show. And then James joined in to give his thoughts on the win as well. So I'm going to give you guys the floor a lot. But as you see going across the screen there and for listeners who check out the audio of this, Houston Cougars, what is it, uh, 24th ranked, mm-hmm. won in triple overtime over a good UTSA team. 37-35. Let me say that one more time. A good UTSA team. Vegas knew the line was four, right? Four, four and a half. Cougs favorite. It actually went down to three and a half right three before the There we go. Kickoff. So Vegas knew. Vegas expected a close game. See anybody out there saying, oh, well, it's, it's not, oh, it's, it's a bad win or, or the Cougs or, or blah, 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 blah. All those kind of things. UTSA is a good team. UTSA is going to make some noise in the American when they join next year. They're a good team. Saying all that, going to bring Willie Gibson as well. There we go. Guys, I have concerns with the Cougs' offensive line. They got pushed around a lot. Um, the left guard, right guard had issues. Intact, I mean, pick, pick times in the game. Left tackle had issues getting beat. Right tackle had issues getting beat. Center spot. I mean, there were times in the game – where the run game, UTSA pushed the Cougs offensive line back three, four yards. 
I mean, it, that's a concern, right? Andy, James? Absolutely. I'll take it first. Um, and it's something that Dane Hogerson acknowledged post-game um, where he – it was a bit of an interesting uh, post-game presser, and I'm sure James can touch more about it. But, you know, they, the the buildup and something we mentioned during the, the Let's Reach Cougs post-game show, uh, the buildup, I feel like it was – yeah, you had that interstate rivalry thing going, and then it really turned up on Thursday when Dana Hogerson was um, – his radio show on KPRC – uh, 950 a.m. where he talked about you know the the crowd and hey the Alamo Dome it, it's a good atmosphere but we need to watch out to see if they pipe noise and whatnot um, and and that really kind of galvanized the UTSA and they 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 acknowledged it and they ran with it they were they were really really loud and going back to the offensive line like you mentioned I feel like that atmosphere probably played a big factor into a lot of the mistakes when it came to penalties there was a lot of false starts um that were called on the offensive line but absolutely not not just of the false starts but there were holding calls there were times where especially in the first three quarters where Clayton Toon was trying to buy as much time as he could because he literally had less than two seconds a lot of plays uh before he had a UTA UTSA defender you know right in his face trying to uh, make a play but that's something that Hogerson acknowledged post game where you know they have a lot of stuff they need to clean up and he said UTSA is a good team obviously of course they were 12 and 2 a season ago they brought they're bringing back a lot of their key players obviously of course the main one their top three receivers and, and Frank Harris uh the quarterback who I mean he showed that that he looked like he was a what is it, I believe Hogerson's a six-year starter or six-year quarterback Your senior yeah and you could tell just with with the poise he showed throughout uh, much of the game being able to elude a lot of Houston's defenders and um I mean now it's on to Texas Tech they were able to rally back and 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 win which is crucial for Houston um a, a very very good win like you said at the top of the show Chris but um I think it's going to be interesting to see how they look week two against Texas Tech um and Hopefully they can get a lot of things polished up because I absolutely agree that that online is a big concern heading into week two. James, what do you say? And yeah, Willie Gibson I, is joining us from Ohio. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about you? And we were going to talk about Buckeyes with Notre Dame. I got that scroll coming too, so don't worry. Oh, yes, sir. We're okay. good. James, you got it, man. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree with Andy for the most part. I think um, even with, uh, you know, first game, there was way too many. I don't think the penalties and, uh, you know, false start holdings were excusable. You accept, expect a few of those in early games, but even though this offensive line looks new, um, you got Jack Freeman at center who didn't start last year, but it started the two years before. Pat Paul's back. He's been a starter. Cameron Johnson started a ton of games last year. Uh, at right tackle was a issue that was a question mark they sort of rotated in between two guys Ruben and um Lance um and so they need to figure that out for sure but even though it's a new look offensive line there's no there was no reason that th these guys all had experience so there was no reason for that many mistakes and so yeah it is it is a little bit concerning um they'll, they'll get on tape and fix things up um a, a, as they prepare for tech but the big thing in my uh, my book is just how are how are they going to go about this right tackle position? I I mentioned this last night on Let's Rage Cougs, but uh, the biggest thing last year was they had the same starting offensive line for all 14 games. Dana's first two years, they had like 22 different combinations, nearly a different one each day or each game. Sorry. Um, so if if you got to keep rotating in right, if you can't find that consistency early on, it, it's going to continue to be a struggle. But you need you need that consistent group of five. Um, that 
you hope stays healthy and that you can just really rely on. Cause if you're having to rotate guys in and out, you never know what you're going to get. And so, and it's just going to be difficult to, uh, it's just going to make life a lot more difficult on Clayton too. Agreed. And concerns with the O-line, I'm going to deal with that a little bit more. The noise was a factor, clearly. Props to the fans in the Alamo Dome. Well, I want to get your thoughts on this as an outsider looking in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Crowd noise. Mm-hmm. What about silent camp? Silent counts. Just silent. You know, you don't have to. You go in the huddle, call plays from the sideline, whatever, and go on one. Or have the, the right guard, left guard look back at the, the quarterback. When the quarterback lifts up his leg, he's ready for the snap. Guard mm-hmm. taps the center, snap the ball. You know, this is not hard. There are ways to mitigate crowd noise, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Dude, I, honestly, honestly, to hear um, um, uh, Andy when he talked about uh, Dana Horgerson saying, I hope they don't pipe in crowd noise, that tells me that's someone who's concerned because why are you focused on the crowd noise? Yep. Your job is to make sure your team is prepared regardless of the circumstance that they face. So the fact that you mentioned that lets me know that it's on his mind, and it was on his mind for him to even say that. So just, again, as an outsider looking in, that's the first thing I thought of when I heard and This is one of the things I saw through the week. I was able to uh, watch his media availability on Monday, and I'll, I'll point those things out later. But, yeah, that, to, to mention crowd noise, why you were, why, what's the concern? Agreed. If you're, if you're prepared. Agreed. Preparation. Now, my, my next pebble I'm tossing at the Cougs and offensive scheming. We talked about it last show, previous shows, all the hype surrounding Tank Dale being one of the most exciting receivers in the country. Two targets for most of three quarters. I don't care what UTSA or any defense is doing to Tank Dell. If he is your best playmaker, you need to design schemes to get him the ball. Period. I don't care if it's in the backfield, reverse. I don't care. They were too passive for nearly three quarters mm-hmm. and they trailed 21-7. They got more aggressive, opened the playbook, and lo and behold, they scored more points. Um, this is my, you know, part of the show. I'm getting on my soapbox. I want my young <laughs> men to re- respond to this. The Cougs, they're ranked now. Okay? They want to be nationally relevant program. Teams, especially UTSA, in-state rival, circle this game on the calendar. They were hyped for this. They wanted to beat UH, be their first win of a ranked opponent. So why are the Cougs coming out this passive play calling and this, oh, Oh, well, yeah, Tank's on the field, but he's going to be a decoy. Forget that. If he's so great, prove it. <clears throat> Andy, James, you got it. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it first. I think one of the big things, now it, it's not going to excuse, like you mentioned, for the first three quarters. I, mean, I, I guess it's a, a various factors. And that, there was a couple of times where they just kept going three and out, where on third downs that, that they would pass it. Clayton Toon would hit a couple of receivers and I know Sam Brown and Matt Golden had a couple of drops. So they were, they were key crucial drops and in key situations that were able to overcome that on some of the drives, but that, that played a factor. And, and then something that was probably a, a bit interesting that Dana Horson had touched on on the Monday leading up to, to the game was that he, 
throughout training camp, he's mentioned how they felt like overall this is probably the best receiving core they've had around Clayton Toon since Hogerson has been here. Um, and he said he felt pretty confident that they're too deep at each receiver position. But um, he, he followed that up with a, ca- a caveat, which is he still wanted to be a run for his team and he wanted to establish the run, um, which might have factored into something early on, especially, you know, when there was still in the first half, maybe trying to get some of the ground game going. But, you know, I, I agree, especially when it comes to play calling. That's something when you look at the, the, the discussion boards among UH fans, it was something that they pointed out as well, where they felt that the play calling was a lot more conservative until, you know, the fourth quarter came around. And, you know, you can't forget about that, that penalty that UTSA got called on because they, they got to stop on fourth. Uh, I, I believe it was fourth and two. And it was, uh, it was in Houston ter- territory. I think they were somewhere in the 30 yard line. Yeah. Near the 30 yard line. If UTSA doesn't get called, um, I'm not sure if there's too many men on the field or an illegal substitution. Um, you know, they don't get called for that. That's probably game over right there. That's, you know, UTSA takes over and you know, worst case scenario, they're already in fuel range. So they probably make it at least 24-7. Uh, they get that break and kudos for Houston being able to keep their poise and, and go down the field. And then they capitalize with a touchdown on that drive. But there was a lot of instances. I mean, even on that fourth down stop um, where UTSA was able to to initially get the stop, they went to Stacy Snead trying to run up on fourth and two, and, and UTSA did a great job of being able to stop Houston's run game a lot of times. James? Yeah, I mean, it's on, on Tank Dell, it's one thing if, you know, Dana's talked about wanting to be a run first team. It's one thing if you know, the offensive line's getting a great push, you're averaging five yards a carry. They were not doing that. Thank you. Um, so you, you, you can't shy away from your best player. You saw what Tank – we all know what Tank can do in open space. Even though the punt return was called back, you saw how electric he was when he just got a little bit of space. Yep. And that, it probably should have been a touchdown. It um, should not have been called back. Yeah, Dana Hogerson made uh, no bones about that. I, I, <laughs> I mean, by, by, by the rule of – letter of the law, it's a penalty. It wasn't a huge shove. But go ahead, James. We'll get into it in a second. Yeah, regardless, like, I, I mean, you can't change that. But that that was just an example of, you know – Get, if you get on the ball in space, you have a chance. Yes. Run a little bubble screen for him. Like Chris was saying, do some reverse or, you know, get him in the backfield, do something to get him the ball. Because like you saw, I wrote a story on this uh, that went up this morning about the two point conversion in the second overtime. That mm-hmm. was, it was a busted play, but tune still tank because he trusted him. And right. guess what? He gave tank a chance and tank came up with an incredible catch. Give him a chance to do something because I mean, if there's one guy on that offense that if you got to go to someone, it's him. And he, he can make the incredible plays happen. It's not going to happen every single time. But I'd rather, if you're Houston, if I'm Houston, I'd rather lose going to tank and he fails me than ignoring him the whole game or, or you know, going to other options. And, and let me say this, because I've been critical of him, you know, last season. Clayton Toon was a man Saturday. Yeah. Okay. He – Poison to pressure. He dealt with a shaky offensive line. Great scrambles. That leap for the game winner, two-point conversion. Looked like Superman. John Elway, <laughs> old school, crashed into the end zone. Props to him for his performance. And Coach Horgerson mentioned it as well. You don't want him running that much as he did yesterday because some of that was out of necessity. There were times he was Houston's best running back. I'm not sure you're going to live with that mm-hmm. much success with your quarterback in this offense being a best running back. But Clayton Toon came through. He delivered. He was clutch. 
only, the only blemish really was that fumble when he, early in the game. He kind of held the ball loosely and paid yeah. for it. Um, but he played great. Just imagine what the offense can do with better protection. And the irony is, with the offensive line, my issue most of the time was run blocking. Because there were times they did a great job play, pass protecting. Clayton had a lot yeah. of time. Coverage, there's a lot of zone underneath. I'm guessing is that why they didn't find open men down the field. Could have been a lot of guys running wrong routes and stuff like that. Yeah. There was also you know, just, drop. And there were a lot of drops too. Yeah. Clayton too made a lot of very good passes on the money. Receiver dropped the ball. So that's also an area that room for improvement there. Mr. Gibson. Yes, sir. I, I'm going to rely on your knowledge and expertise of the Buckeyes. Um, you didn't watch the game? No, I'm joking. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. I'll type the wrong score there. Let me get up. Who was the best player on the, on the Buckeyes? Uh, yesterday? Um, I would probably, it, it would probably still be CJ Stroud. Well, no, it was Mike Hall. Michael Hall Jr. on defense. The defensive tackle was very disruptive. He made his first start. Um, very disruptive throughout camp, and uh, he made his presence felt, made his presence known uh, yesterday on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Ohio State's defense has been much maligned. Uh, Ryan Day basically fired his entire defensive coaching staff in the offseason, brought in a whole new staff. Uh, Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State, um, the $2 million answer, just to be completely transparent. Yeah, the D coordinator, the D coordinator at Ohio State makes $2 million. Um, That's twice as much as Doug Belt. You ain't a defensive coordinator. Yeah, he uh, he 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 went to he went to Gene Smith at the end of the season and said changes have to be made. Gene Smith gave him the checkbook and said go make it happen. So, well, for all intents and purposes, to be accurate journalistically, it's one point nine. So he's making one point nine million, but <laughs> he wrote the check and it paid dividends yesterday. Um, first play of the game, he ran a safety blitz. Um, it missed the tackle, and it was a 54-yard reception on the first play of the game for Notre Dame. Uh, after that, they tightened up. Uh, second half, 20 plays for 76 yards, six straight punts to end the game for the defense. So the defense showed up, and I would say Michael Hall was the best player. And how was there a push up front in the middle of the defense? Um, It was good. He, he ran a lot of stunts. He runs a lot. He runs a lot of, for lack of a better term, helter skelter defense. He runs a four-two-five, uh, so four down linemen, two linebackers, and five. His safety is pretty much the the quarterback of his of the Jim Knowles defense. So you had uh, Lathan Ransom, who's been he's been been uh, the teacher's pet of Knowles the entire preseason, and he showed why uh, yesterday. He but Michael Hall. Uh, on the defensive line, pretty much uh, ran the show. Now I'm going back to Andy and James talk about the Cougs' defensive effort. I got concerns there too. The tackles, the in rushers did a good job. Pressure mm -hmm. up the middle, on the line, nothing. Linebackers, safeties. I mean, hell, the game time field goal. You just say went right down the middle of the field. The middle of the field, when you need, they don't have to, what, what 20, 20, 23 seconds? seconds. No 20 timeouts. seconds. No timeouts, and they just went down the middle of the field. No pressure up the front. Secondary, the, the pass to the tight end was a great play call by UTSA. 
They're huge tight end going against the five foot ten, whatever he is, cornerback for UH. Size mismatch. That's smart. But great play design there. But the Cougs up the middle, the middle of the field, defensively, gotta get better. Texas Tech may just carve up the Cougs this coming Saturday in the middle of the defense. What do you guys thoughts on that, James and Andy? Yeah, I mean, like you said, one thing, I mean, missed tackles were a huge story. Um, you, you saw the ends getting home um, to Harris, but they couldn't get him down in the first half. They could have, they probably should have had like six or seven sacks at least. Um, they finally yeah. got a few in the second half. They couldn't get to him. But like you said, the push up the middle, there it, w- it was non-existent for the most part. So that's concerning. And then, you know, like I said, missed tackles. You got to shore that, or, or yeah, shore that up because uh, I mean, look at UTSA's first two touchdowns. First one, the receiver runs a short route over the middle, missed tackle, missed arm tackle, weak arm tackle, takes it thirty plus yards, whatever it was, to the house. The next one, Nelson Caesar gets gets to Harris, can't bring him down for the sack. Harris does the rest on 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 his legs, and you know takes it to the house. Though, and Nelson Caesar said this after the game that he felt like UH's defense shot themselves in the foot more than UTSA like caused them problems um, because they they just yes UTSA is a good offense and they made some plays but they 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 just like like you said they they, they made so many mistakes um, that they were lucky to you know get out of that um, like they did Andy. No, absolutely, James. It brought up all the great points. And I think especially early on, you know, at least throughout training camp heading into the game, the the big kind of question mark was going to be with uh, the corners in the secondary just because of who they lost um, from a season ago in Marcus Jones and Demarion Williams. And I think really it was surprising when, when like James mentioned, um, I think initially Houston's defenders were being able to, to – get into the backfield and cause Harris to rush, but they just weren't able to finish plays. And there was various times where it seemed like, you know, they were just a second late where if they were able to get there a second sooner, they could bring Harris down and he would make a big play. And I think um, that's obviously has to be the biggest, you know, point of emphasis for Houston heading into week two against Texas Tech. There were way too many missed tackles. And even a couple of times, again, where the D-line itself, they they were flagged for a couple of um, offside penalties, you know, pre-snap penalties that, like James said, it's just they were just shooting themselves in the foot. Um, and, yeah, that 23 seconds to, to be able to carve up down the field two chunk plays literally um back to back that 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 can't happen and then even in the overtime periods where similar thing again where when i mean going back to when clayton toon found tank dell and in, in that uh i believe that was a double overtime where they got mm-hmm. up 35 27 and yeah i can't remember um if it was a i think houston had managed to gotten to get utsa into a third down situation yeah, was third and one. then Frank Harris makes a crazy play where it looks like Houston's defenders are going to collapse and they're going to have him, and they are unable to bring him down. And lo and behold, he somehow finds a, a receiver and they, um, they score the touchdown to cut it to two. And then on the two point conversion, it's literally it, it, almost no resistance on the, on the sneaker draw that they, they ran for Harris. Um, that's unacceptable. That's stuff that they have to clean up. And um, to their credit, um, you mentioned Doug Belk. I think that's, that's probably a group where I'd be more confident them being able to be much more solid going into uh, week two, but it's certainly a point of concern, especially the missed tackles, because, you know, that's, that's like James said, those were a lot of t- touchdowns. A couple of the touchdowns that UTSA played or made where, I mean, that was just 
really more Houston not being able to execute than UTSA was being able to make plays. Now, I think on that scramble up the middle by Frank Harris, uh, was it Donovan Mutin, number three for the Cougs? Mm-hmm. He was held. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. held in, on, you know, yeah, with help. They brought that up. Yeah. But yeah, uh-huh. that was a hold. That was a blown call there. But this is for everybody. <clears throat> you guys, Will, Andy, James, and our audience too, uh, joining us on YouTube as well as Twitter on Folks Talk Sports. I've been curious about this for a while. <clears throat> it's 11 on 11. 11 offense, 11 defense, quarterback. Why don't more defenses, high school, college, pro, put a spy on the quarterback? Especially when you know you got a quarterback who can can scramble. Both teams yesterday, Frank Harrison made plays with his feet. Clayton Toon made plays with his feet. No spy, no, no. We very, very rarely saw anybody near them in terms of like, Linebacker, safety, whoever, you see, you know, see in the middle of the field, got eyes on wherever the quarterback's going. Nothing. Frank Harris, Cougs, ends, great rushes. But Frank Harris had room to step up, middle of the, of the plate, and then scramble up the middle wherever you wanted to go. Clayton Toon scrambles. Have y'all noticed that? Well, one of that, am I just nuts? Why don't defenses have more, one spot, one person, you got to have the athlete for it, of course, on the quarterback to mitigate a scrambling quarterback's effectiveness. Will, some of you want to chime in a bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I, I'll no, go ahead. Hold on. To, I'm... <laughs> go ahead. To, the, to the distinguished gentleman from Texas. No, I, I, that's a good point, especially when it, when it comes to what, um, like you mentioned with Frank Harris and, and both Clayton Toon and Frank Harris, where they it seemed like they were, whenever they were able to step up, they could just, honestly make any play that they wanted and and they would probably at, at the very least be able to get five yards before they saw any opposing defenders come up and tackle them i'm not entirely sure it could just be that you know defensive coordinators just prefer the, instead of having a spy if, if they're going to use that extra uh, defender maybe just a straight up rush um on a blitz rather than than just have a designated sneak but the, that's a good question brought up and honestly i'm not entirely too sure james will yeah, I would say the same. I would say something along that line. I think more so defensive coordinators have their scheme. And so, and then too, you you take that spy that entire game. <clears throat> One, quarterback gets you. Then what? Then two, that, that, that you're not running your defense at that point. You're allowing the offense to dictate your defense. And as a defensive coordinator, you want that defense to dictate to that quarterback what he can do. But I think it's more so the scheme and the defense that the defensive coordinator has, they have confidence in, and they're going to make sure that they run what's gotten them there, so to speak, what's been successful for them in the past. Yeah. I mean, I think the big things that come to my mind with that is either one – uh, like Andy brought up, you don't want to sacrifice that extra rusher, of course. Um, you want to be able to get that pressure on the quarterback. But two, some teams, uh, especially like UH with just, you know, a younger, newer-looking secondary, you, you you might need some extra help out there. You might want an extra guy back um, playing in coverage. And so then you're saying, you know, I, I value, you know, our, our coverage scheme and, you know, making sure that 
a receiver doesn't break wide open over uh, I'm willing to, you know, put that above, you know, the quarter, let the quarterback make a play with his legs rather than beat us deep. Um, I'm going to use this extra guy in coverage. Okay. All three of you guys made legit responses. My retort to all of that is if the quarterback in the game is kicking your butt with his legs, you need to make adjustments. Okay, whatever you got to do to your schemes, if it's not working, if the quarterback is beating with his legs, okay, scrambling for touchdowns, I mean, big plays, you got to do something different because it's not working. You know, if the quarterback is stepping up in the middle of your pressure, you're getting great pressure from your ends, but nothing from your middle, your, your defensive linemen, not your tackles, ends. Need a tackles to do something up the middle. Need a middle linebacker, something to stop and contain the quarterback in the middle. Because if you have that, then your ends could come around and get him from behind. But if you got nobody there in the middle of the field, just scoot on around. You know, in-game adjustments is part of football too. Oh, without right? question. I think halftime adjustments are sixty-five percent of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes without. Yeah, I mean, even if you were playing and and, it did, and that didn't work, you you gotta adjust regardless. Yeah. Uh, what happened? So, so I think both defenses didn't do that in the second half, especially because Frank Harris. You know, I don't cover follow UTSA. He's a dude. Okay, he he can play. He's an old man, but he's experienced, and he found ways to get get it done for his team and give him a chance to win. And like I said, UTSA is a good football team. Okay, we'll see what they do the rest of the season. We none of us expect the Cougs to be considered highly ranked in the CFP rankings, but UTSA success won't hurt the Cougs. I tell you that. I don't see them losing too many games the rest of the season. Speaking of CFP, Mr. Yanez, Mr. Mueller, Mr. Gibson, the the higher ups Friday voted unanimously to expand the playoff to twelve. And they basically tell the, said to their ADs, uh, no, we, wanna, we want this money soon. So we're going to 12. Y'all need to figure it out, make it happen. Willie, what do you think about that? Um, well, it's interesting that you brought up the money, but it's really not the money because the top four teams get by. So they're really not as, it's really not as much money as it appears on paper because you get – Four games in the first round, then you get two and then one. So yeah, you get a few extra games, but not as many as you think. Because like I said, the top four don't play. It was interesting that they went to twelve and not eight from that perspective. And then the third thing I thought of was uh your guy, Michael Resco, because he's been all I heard since I've been doing this is the power six, the power six. I'm like, hey, there's no power six. Well, guess what? The top six conference champions are in this. And I'm like, man, he he he's ahead of his time because he's been screaming power six the entire time. <laughs> and and the and I'm let Andy James y'all add your thoughts in a second. But the thing that struck me is this: the top four ranked conference champions will receive a first round by and be seated one through four, regardless of the rankings by the selection committee. Yep. So if 
in 25 or 2026, UTSA wins the American. And they are one of the top. They're going to get ranked as a conference champion because they're conference champion. But they could be 16th, 17th in this the CFP ranked by the committee. I can't imagine some folks, Georgia, you know, somebody from a power program for the, for the, for the, for the power to wait, UTSA going to get a chance to host the game. And, and we, <laughs> what? <laughs> so that surprised me. What are your thoughts overall about going to 12? Andy, James. Andy? Yeah, I'll go. F- oh, Andy. I'll go first. I was going to say, um, it, it, you you kind of heard rumblings at the beginning of the week, um, and I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday. Uh, and I remember you you shared a tweet, and I said I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And then, well, lo and behold, come the end of the week, it it happened. And I think overall, hmm, it, it's interesting the the formats that that are being reported. It, it's going to be, um, like you mentioned, it'll be top six uh, conference champions that that kind of automatically get in and there's, there's six at large bids um i think overall for the for the benefit of the sport it's going to be a better thing just to have and i know the top four programs are going to be like oh it's a it, this is the argument that i've heard where it's it's a, a waste of time is what i've heard a lot because we know that at the end of the day it'll still be you know the alabama's ohio states um the premier programs that are gonna make it to the semifinal. but i think overall it's much better when at the very least there's at least hope for more fan bases that, you know, any given day that their team has a chance to go out there and at the very least host um, a first round college football playoff game that that's probably benefit, not overall for whatever schools make it, but just overall for the sport in general, there's more interest in it, especially more games when there's uh, bigger stakes. Um, No offense to the current bowls, but even outside the, the four, um, the semifinals and and the college football playoff, um, I know there's been a lot of talk about the New Year's Six Bowls, but even then, is there really anything if you're not a part of that CFP? It doesn't really matter. And I think this is much better for college football overall because it does raise stakes. There's more games that are going to be important. They're going to matter. And obviously, of course, there's more value in the regular season because, you know, look at Houston right now with their 24. If they were playing under that format, they would have a legit chance to be able to get into that top 12 rather than, you know, the way it is now where, they can go undefeated and it's not going to matter. They're not going to be a top 14. James. Yeah. I think uh, the expansion overall is a good thing. I, I wish like Will talked about, I wish it was eight um, rather than 12. The biggest problem I have with the 12th team playoff or the way they've set it up is the six conference champion auto bids. And because I think that's going to hurt from a competitive standpoint, um, you're still going to get these blowouts in games because Look, the mm-hmm. like take the American. The American's going to be a lot weaker next year. No one's no one's going to debate that with Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF leaving. They're not bringing in people, so you could have you know a seven and five Memphis Conference Championship from the American make the playoff, and like yeah, good for them. But like it's not going to help from a competitive standpoint. I, and I know people have that's one of the big things people want you know better games because typically semifinals, even under this current format, have been blowouts. Um, in a lot of the championship games too. But then the, the second thought is, um, I mean, there's there's more margin for error for the big dogs. You know, you can see a three-loss Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia team get in, and they can make some noise. Um, I think that's possible. You won't see a three-loss. They're never going to lose three-loss. 
I'm picking. I'm picking. I'm picking. But in the current format, and I just like value of winning. Winning your conference championship means something. Okay, you just got a chance at a playoff. Okay, the current format. Yesterday was an embarrassment, and they've, they've this conference has been consistent in it. The Pac-12. Right now, their season's over. Okay, <laughs> they have no chance. <laughs> Nobody from the Pac-12 has a chance after one game to be in this current playoff. It's over after one week. What the hell? They could Utah could win the conference, but they lost to Florida game one. No chance it work. At that that has been one of my biggest gripes of the current format. So Willie Gibson. Yes, sir. I don't know the AD at Iowa's name off the top of my head. Um it escapes me right now. Gary Barnard, yeah. Uh your man, Gene Smith at the Ohio State. Mm-hmm. earlier in the week was the first person to say, and you got the facts to back it up as well, that Ohio, the Ohio State is not in favor of the Big Ten expanding. Well, Elaborate, please, sir. Yeah, uh, Gene Smith um, is the man, for lack of a better term. He used to start at Ohio State, and this is no arrogance. This is not, I know, I joke and clown a lot about Ohio State, but in, in all seriousness, Ohio State is a straw that stirs the drink as far as the Big Ten is concerned. Um, Ohio State was definitely on board in adding USC and UCLA. Strictly strategic, strictly financial and television purposes. The number two media market in the country. Very much interested in adding those teams. They're not interested in adding Eugene, Oregon. They're not interested in adding Seattle, Washington. They're not. So, you know, for the, you know, the meetings that they said occurred, and they did occur. Those meetings did occur. But those, those, those schools met with legal counsel. Right. They never met with a school president. They never met with Commissioner Kevin Warren. They never met with a school athletic director. So I, I, I liken it to someone knocking at your door and your parents saying, go see what they want and tell me. That's what the meeting was. No, no, no traction. Just, okay, you want to talk? Okay, I'll send my attorney and he'll report back and tell me what he would tell me what you said. Okay, well, my question for you is, <clears throat> does it have to be unanimous? For the, from the Big Ten to decide on adding teams? It does. Okay, well, it has to be 16. Okay, so I didn't know I know that. That's why we got Mr. Gibson on from the Ohio State in Columbus. So do you, or how about is this a negotiating ploy to get more money from the networks to split, increase the pie for the Big Ten teams? Well, there are contingencies in place in the New Deal that if, if other teams are added, the pot increases. But Ohio State is not interested in adding any other teams. Sixteen is it? Now that sounds very arrogant. I know it does, but it's it's fact that Gene Smith is not interested in Washington, Oregon, Arizona State, Arizona, and, and 
But most people say it Houston. makes sense. Well, you have the Big Ten West and huh? Houston. <laughs> in due time, okay. Will. In due time. In due time, man. Five years. Going to have expanded TDECU Stadium. Six thousand fans in there, sold out. Sixty, oh, yeah. huh? Oh yeah. 60. I'm just. I'm leaving all out. Put all out there in the universe. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was one hundred six in the horseshoe last night. I digress. Oh, you gotta start. Gotta start somewhere, Will. Okay. Yeah, we're on the Big Ten. Could I ask Will a quick question? Yes. Please. So you mentioned uh, UCLA. Obviously, we all saw the embarrassment with attendance yesterday. Do you think this yep. Big Ten thing is going to help with that at all? Um, obviously, we know the LA market, but just attendance has been a problem there for a while, anyways, in football. But to only get twenty-seven and change at the Rose Bowl, like yeah, yeah, um, attendance is a problem at Rutgers too. Yep. But it's the New York market. And I, I learned that a long time ago. Man. I, I get it. Yeah, I saw the I saw the same shot. But it's the number two media market in the country, so they're going to get those eyes. They may not get the seats in the seat and seats in the in the building, but they'll get the eyes on the TV screen. It may it may be twenty seven thousand at the Rose Bowl, but in January when Ohio State comes to Pauley Pavilion. It'll be a sellout. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that six and one half, half dozen and the other. Yeah, football stirs the drink. And yeah, UCLA right now is not there, but somebody's going to be watching in LA 9 a.m. when UCLA play, plays at, at Camp Randall and plays Wisconsin. And, and plus, being in the LA market gets the Big Ten Network on whatever the Cable provider is for LA. Yes. So that's also part of this. They're not yes. really concerned about about the state, the you know, the stadium. The yeah, yeah, I'm worried about the gate. Man, no. You know, because you get on New York market, whatever it is, the satellite provider in New York, they're on the big team is a part of that package. Sponsors, money, cable bill. Yep. You're paying for big team network, whether you whether you know it or not, you're paying for the big team network. Yep. So doing the same thing in, in LA. Okay. No. Willie Gibson, Mr. Yes, Gibson. Hmm. So, are you saying that there won't be any Big Ten expansion if it's not Notre Dame? I'm not saying there won't be any. I'm saying there's not going to be any. There's not going to be any Big Ten expansion. Period. 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 You heard not, it. Here. Not including Notre Dame. Including no Notre Dame. I'm putting it right up there. If if he happens to be wrong, hit him up on Twitter <laughs> at some point in the future. Yeah, put that. Yeah. I'll let you know. get at him. So we'll get some seven on Twitter. Andy, what are your thoughts on that? That kind of kills a lot, lot of stuff. But what are your thoughts on that? That means the Houston has to call up the SEC. No, I'm joking. Um, you know, that's interesting. Um even Notre Dame, huh? I I I'm, I think it'd be interesting to hear from a, a Notre Dame perspective if that we just talked about the new CFP format where it would be the top six conference champions <clears throat> and then the six at-large bids. Well, you know, where does Notre Dame, where does Notre Dame fall in that? Are they like forever going to be stuck in the, in the five range and the six range or what would it be? There's the top where they yeah, wouldn't they be able to get a, 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 yeah, where the they wouldn't be able to, four, yeah. yeah, they wouldn't even be able, yeah, they would never be able to host a buy or have a buy either. I think that's going to be interesting uh, going forward if that's, kind of the scenario where it, it 
goes towards, um, you know, what do their school officials and what do they provide? Provide, and if the Big Ten isn't going to expand, that's that's certainly interesting because I know, obviously, of course, that's kind of where a lot of the the noise has been when it comes to expansion. Um, when it comes to not necessarily taking Washington and Oregon, but kind of Notre Dame being the prize uh, that the Big Ten would eye. So certainly interesting if if um, what Will said is true, and then well, they don't expand. But listen, it's what you just said. It's always been there. Northern's always always been the prize, but yet Penn State joined the Big Ten. Nebraska's joined the Big Ten. USC's joined the Big Ten. UCLA's joined the Big Ten. Is Notre Dame truly the prize? If all these schools have jumped ahead of the prize and joined mm-hmm. the Big Ten, I'm not saying that you. I'm just I'm just no, 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 yeah. in general. Yeah, I'm like. Yeah, Notre Dame is, you know, New Rockney win one for the Gipper. That's great. But Notre Dame hasn't, they haven't done anything in like 30 years in football. Right. Mm-hmm. 30 years. So are they really the prize? We're going to shift gears, but one last thing on this. With Willie's, Mr. Gibson's statements on no expansion for, for the Big Ten, and the CFP expanding to 12, is the Pac-12 now safe based on what we've heard today and discussing on today's Folks Talking Sports? Mm-hmm. Andy, James, Will, because if the Big Ten is, does not expand, does not add Oregon, Washington, Stanford, that's the surefire way to lead to the demise of the Pac-12. Because if that happens, then the Big 12 would take Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, whatever, and kneecap the Pac-12 completely. But if the Big 10 does not add any more teams, plus you got an automatic spot if you win a conference championship in the expanded CFP, is is the Pac-12 now safe? I think it's hard for me to call any conference other than the SEC and Big Ten safe just because we've seen how quickly things can change. Um, yeah. I do think, yes, if that scenario plays out and the Pac-12 stays at where it's at now um, post uh, you know, losing USC and UCLA, it's definitely, I guess, more appealing to the schools that are in it. And even if they maybe want to poach a few schools from another conference just because they're like, you know, we have a direct path to the playoff now. Um, that's potential money for a university hosting a game, things like that. So uh, I think it puts them in a better position, but I wouldn't call them safe. Andy? Agree. I think in the short term, certainly, um, it kind of calms the the thing where, especially when there was a, over the summer when UCLA and UCLA, USC made the jump where there was a talk, oh, that, that's the future that we're going in. It's going to be super conferences. I mean, it's going to be the SEC, Big Ten, and then everybody else um, that's not going to be considered top two. I think with this new format, it kind of cools things cools things down at least for a little bit because like um you mentioned there's going to be you know there's a viable option to being able to be a part of those top 12 and uh, not necessarily having to be one of those top two conferences where um you know that the sec and the big 10 champion probably have their spot secured and then the two at-large bids under the format it is now well 
it's going to be really hard to kind of have an argument over any team that has a Big Ten or SEC schedule. So I think it buys them some time. But like James said, it, I think it's hard to be able to, to call any conferences not in those top two safe just because you never know when the SEC um, – Big Ten, maybe not, or maybe so. If they come called in any school that's not in those two conferences, are going to make the jump. Fair enough. One last thing. We're going to talk uh, Cleveland Cavaliers in a second. Um, I asked about it last week. I mentioned it last week about the possibility of a linear Big 12 network. I got an answer to that question, if it made sense. I'm not going to say who the person is, but you've seen him on Twitter. He's been quoted a lot, interviewed a lot. He's retired. That's a big hint of who I got the answer from. Um, <clears throat> he said it was probably too late uh, in the game for a linear Big 12 network. Then the day after that, another person said that with the negotiations that the Big 12 will begin, I guess, Tuesday of this week with its TV partners, ESPN and Fox that rolling, uh, transitioning the Longhorn Network to a Big 12 Network is part of the discussions. So what are your thoughts on that, Andy James Will? I think that just goes to show where uh, we're at that time where uh, everyone has reports and you just wait and see what, what, what the actual um, kind of end game will actually end up being. Um, I think for the most part, you know, it's interesting when you think of having a Big 12 linear network where um, the person told you that, that it's probably too late in the game. I think um, there's always a benefit just to having a, a dedicated network just for your conference. And I think overall in the grand scheme of things, it probably would benefit the Big 12 um, as a part of those negotiations with uh, UT. And, you know, if they end up leaving sooner, I think it wouldn't hurt to be able to have that additional platform to be able to showcase uh, not only the current teams you have, but just you know, overall the conference as a whole um, and have that outlet. James? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, like Andy has said, you know, no one really knows exactly what's going to happen. I would need to see, you know, a full breakdown and get super detailed financial information to give you like a great answer on that. But the main thing for the Big 12 is, if you, if you do decide to go this, you got to ensure that it's not going to be another Longhorn Network type thing. We talked about it last show, how that's mm-hmm. been a miserable failed experience. Um, and so it, it is the demand there? Um, and ha- how are you going to ensure that if, if it does, if the Big 12 Network does become a reality, you got to ensure that, you know, it financially makes sense and it, it, it's going to boost things um, because – and uh, the, the positive is you do got a commissioner who's experienced in the media department. So um, that's a positive. But, I mean, overall, it's it's hard to say um, exactly what's going to happen. Well, what do, you, what do you think about a linear Big 12 network? Probably, um, back, probably be with the support of ESPN. Yeah. Um, uh, as, as everyone's always has already said, it's, it's hard to say, man, because this thing is liquid. This thing is liquid by the second. So it would may be right now, may not be at in three hours, literally. So, I mean, yeah, it's, I, 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 that's really it's, it's, uh, what, outside of definitively saying the Big Ten is done expanding. I, I really won't say, um, you know, anything can happen. I know that's a cop-out answer, but. <laughs> well, we got you right there with the floor now, sir. 
Cleveland Cavaliers yep. acquired Donovan Mitchell. Yep. Expound on the trade, sir. Your thoughts on it? Uh, the time is now. Asset acquisition is over. It's time because uh, ever since uh, LeBron James Sr. got to differentiate now. I'll get into that in a second. <laughs> but ever since LeBron James Sr. Uh, signed with the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, the, Cavs, the Cavaliers have been in asset acquisition. And uh, you guys remember, I was I, almost a year ago when Laurie Marketing was signed by the Cavs in the signing trade. I'm like, what is he doing? Yeah. Kobe Altman, this is terrible. What? Mm. No one else is signing this cat. What are you doing? Well, he was playing chess is what he was doing because that was a primary chip in him. Now, I'm not saying he was eyeing Donovan Mitchell this entire time when he signed Laurie Marketing or traded for Laurie Marketing. I'm not saying that. However, um, he used that contract, that player, along with a signing trade of Colin Sexton. And um, Ochai uh, Ojabi, Ajabi, thank uh, uh, I probably should still learn how to say that name. But um, and he traded it for a twenty-six-year-old all-star that's averaged no less than twenty points a game in his five-year career, and he's been to the playoffs every year. So now, Kobe Altman pushed all his chips to the middle of the table, Jim Fossil style. Look that up, Jim Fossil, New uh -huh. York Giants. He pushed all his chips to the middle of the table, Jim Fossil style, and said it's time to go. James, what were your, what were your thoughts on the trade? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the Cavs, I mean, I was I didn't expect the Cavs to be in that play, but I think it was a good move. Um, they've already got, you know, a nice young core. I still think they're probably a year or two away from being serious uh, championship contenders, but they, they, they can make some noise in the playoffs. Um, and you know, bringing in a guy like Mitchell, um, who Will just talked about, you know, all his accolades, you know, he, he's a proven scorer. I mean, it, it, the Cavs have the Cavs have built things right, in my opinion. And, I, I mean, they, they continue to trend in the right direction. Andy? No, like Will said, uh, in terms of the time is now, uh, Cleveland has done a, a spectacular job of being able to, the moment LeBron – uh, James Sr., since we do have to dif differentiate that, like Will said, um, left Cleveland for, for the Lakers. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a – it's got to be marvelous if you're in Cleveland to finally have a team where, you know, it's not necessarily revolving around LeBron James and you have expectations for heading into the season. And I think the move, I know a lot of people, especially, you know, when it comes to, to the Donovan – Mitchell trade per se they're like oh it's a nice move for Cleveland but does Donovan Mitchell really move the needle and this and that I think it's an excellent move for Cleveland because now you have a core that's still relatively young uh, and it's going to get a chance to learn by you know by experience for the lack of a better phrase where you know they're probably going to be almost certain that they're going to end up being one of uh, the playoff teams in the Eastern Conference which is going to be you know, marvelous for um, a lot of players that they're still young. They still haven't necessarily had that playoff experience, even though they did play in the playing game this past season. And it, it, you're at a point where you can compete and the players are in the core overall are still young enough where they can get better overall. And now Cleveland's at a point where they kind of have who they believe is going to lead them. And now they can just go about being able to, to perfect the team and, and compete. Like James said, um, they probably have a, a much longer win window in this 
a prime example of how um, to do a rebuild of your team. Okay, long window. I agree with that. <clears throat> wrap, wrap it up with this. A couple things. For all three of you guys, today, September 4th, with Donovan Mitchell, are the Cavs better than the Bucks? No. No. Brooklyn? I take it. Depends. It depends. Yeah, you see me, right? Boston? No. Philly? Mm, I'll give the edge to Philly. Philly. Chicago? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're in that, that category. In that Probably category. Higher. Okay, that's not better than Chicago. Yeah. No, I think I think they're better than Chicago, but they're like in that category where Miami? the four teams. Which Miami? What do you mean by that? Which Miami is going to show up? Well, we could say the same thing. I'm, I'm pulling cold water on the trade from this perspective. Yeah. The Cavs now are expected to win. Yeah. Okay. The Hawks last season realized and discovered our expectations can disrupt and hurt young teams. So we're going to see how the young Cavs, they got talent. Very, very formidable front court. Very offensive minded back court. I'm not sure those guys could do anything worth a damn defensively against other good backcourts, let alone elite backcourts. Oh, sure. But, so, higher expectations, we'll see what they do on that. It's a good deal, solid deal. It's a way to build. It's a way for a young team like the Rockets, Detroit, Orlando. You got all these assets. At some point, you got to put your chips on the table and make an aggressive move. So, the East is stacked. I'm looking forward to basketball season. September 26th, Will, I think, same for the Cavs, me today. Yeah. Looking forward to it here. We're going to talk about that throughout. We're going to wrap it up, see if I can pull it up here without messing up. I want to get you guys' thoughts on this. Let's see. What about that jersey there, Willie Gibson? The green and gold Rockets hardwood classic San Diego Rockets uniform. It's cool. It's cool. Andy, James? Yeah, I, I like it. I mess with it, especially I like the the kind of a, the touch of the Nike logo. It's a bit of a throwback with the Nike logo as well. Um, I think overall it's a it's a pretty good scheme, and I like it. James? Yeah, I mean it's it's a nice jersey. Other than I mean, I the credit karma doesn't help, but that's uh, <laughs> a sponsor though. So you know. Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, money drives things, and yeah, yep. but, but I, I think it's a nice touch and. We've seen the Rockets explore with a bunch of different things. Um, Better than the blue one. Wise. I, have they announced, are they going to do like a special court, sort of like they did last year with the, uh, I forget what the you know, jersey was called, but uh, how they changed the floor. Uh, they haven't announced that yet. No, let's do it like that a little bit. So, but no, they have not done that, announced it yet, but their first game for the Harbor Classic jerseys will be Friday, November 18th against the Pacers when they retire the Big E. Elvin Hayes' number 44 be the seventh Rocket to get his jersey retired, his number retired in the organization. This is the 55th year of the Rockets franchise. So Andy, James, Will, Elvin Hayes old school. Elvin Hayes, 16th season in the NBA. 
never played fewer than 80 games in any season. Wow. Think about that. <laughs> no low management, huh? Not at all. No load management whatsoever. He played 50,000 minutes in his NBA career. Well, LeBron played that like his first 10 years in. Well, you know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, all right, we're going to wrap it up. Great talk. Always good talking with, with the crew. Appreciate it as always. Brother Gibson, you got it first. My man, how can folks get in touch with you on social media? Can I get a couple things off? I just had sure. just Go ahead, a sir. couple questions. Well, just recruiting-wise at Ohio State for last night's game, they had 61 recruits in the building last night, uh, 42, 40, 61 football recruits, and uh, 42 NFL personnel representing 27 teams. I say that because there was one basketball recruit, a 6'3 combo guard from uh, Los Angeles, California, that the basketball team had in on an official visit um, that stole the show, literally stole the show. This kid came in, uh, worked out with the team, went to a practice in the morning, did his photo shoot, participated in the shoot-around, uh, went to the game. Uh, his family left. He came back on campus. Uh, LeBron James Jr. took an official visit to Ohio State this weekend during the Notre Dame weekend. Yeah. So that was why I differentiated yeah, earlier understood. Understood. LeBron James Sr., but Ronnie was in the building. And, and Sr. was there as well. And, of course, they we want Bronnie Chance went out in the shoe. And I mean, who's who was in the shoe last night? Joe Burrow, Ezekiel Elliott, Orlando Pace, Jason Tatum, Andre Iguodala. Um, any and everybody was in the building last night. But Bronnie James stole the show. So – I just wanted to bring that up. And then I had a question, seriously, legitimately. I, I saw this. I had a chance to watch uh, uh, Dana Horgerson's uh, media availability on, on Monday. And didn't you guys tell me, was it, is it what, Shipley Donuts is the mm -hmm. new official donut and coffee? Yes. Of the, of the Cougars, U.S. Yes. Cougars? Yes. Okay. Then, I don't know, somebody help me. Because, and please go back to watch this. Daniel Horkinson was unapologetically drinking a Starbucks coffee throughout the entire press conference. And I'm sitting there like, <laughs> did somebody not say something to him? Like, yo, you, you, get it, you can't do that. I don't, and maybe it's, I don't know. It just kind of threw me off. Like, I really wasn't listening to anything he was saying after that. Because I'm like, didn't they just sign a coffee deal with somebody else? And like the SID, the AD, nobody came up and said, hey, coach, put that down. Or here, take this cup. Put it in there. That just seemed odd to me. That's a great point. I didn't even notice. I didn't notice that. Well, James, you got any, any response to that? Yeah, I mean, I remember him bringing that Starbucks cup. I that did not come to mind. So that's. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, that that that's a little surprising. If I if I'm Shipley's, I'm I'm a little upset. I mean, yeah. even, even if you just get him a empty Shipley's cup and say, "Dump your Starbucks in here," like. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you're paying money to the university, yeah, there's no reason why uh, a competitor should should be on your uh, show. I guess the good thing for Shipley's was the uh, the stream was sort of glitchy, and I don't even know if it actually worked. <laughs> it didn't work on ESPN Plus. No. They did so, post it on YouTube, though, right? So, so uh, yeah, that's where I saw it. Yeah. To be to be fair, Shipley's is known more for their donuts than coffee, so th there's a caveat there. But <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the sponsorship deal, yeah, is yeah. the drink too official coffee drink of UA's athletics. So James, if you get a chance tomorrow, 
Ask. Please. Ask. Don't ask. Don't ask. Don't get in trouble, ask somebody but... else. Ask. Find out. Off the record, <laughs> just ask. Bring it up because that is a great point. Because piggyback and tie it all together as we wrap it up here on Folks Talking Sports. When um, UH Women's Hoops had announced their deal with Jordan, <clears throat> Coach Huey did a few media sessions with the previous apparel sponsor. And I had to tell them off, off the record, Coach, why are you wearing this? This is not Jordan. What, what, what is this? So, yeah, this is a big deal. If companies are investing in you, where is their stuff? And UH, y'all got to know that. Be better. I mean, if, if, if we're noticing that, I would assume the sponsor is noticing that too. Oh, uh, uh, excuse me. What, why is he wearing that and not? Why is this cup of that? Come on. Be better than that. We got to be better than that. We're happy with this money coming in and we're, mess- and we're potentially pissing off the sponsors already. That's not smart. All right. My fault. Question from Bugged <laughs> Out. I see here. But I wrap it up here. I think it's about why the Coos went first on offense and OT. Yeah. It's a coin toss, right? Yeah, they won the coin toss, which was surprising because you'd think typically a team would defer. They want to know what they have to do on offense. Uh, Joseph Duarte of the Houston Chronicle was told by some staffer in an article that he posted last night that they had some analytic that suggested um, it was a win was a higher likely outcome if they took the ball first. I don't know exactly where that came from, and that doesn't make a ton of sense, but, I mean, that's what – uh, Joseph was told by UH staffer, so that's that's the reasoning. Um, Holgerson didn't comment on it. No one asked him that, but yeah. All right. James Mueller, you just spoke. The floor is yours, sir. Wrap it up. How can folks find you on the, the internet? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at JDM2186, and then all my work is at uh, thedailycougar.com, and appreciate all the support um, I've been receiving recently. Great job. Yesterday on the show, my man, look forward to you doing what you're doing Saturday as well. And the, the host of Less Rage Cougs, Andy Yanez. How can folks find you, sir? Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at Ayanez underscore five as they see it uh, scrolling under the screen. Um, real quickly, I just have to segue and say thanks to, to you, Chris, for allowing Let's Rage Cougs to be on the platform of the Houston Round Bar Review YouTube channel. Um, for all intents and purposes, it went as smooth as it possibly could. Um, we had to learn how to, the first time I've ever had to do a live read and had to do six of them throughout. So it was real, real interesting. And uh, kudos to, to our Five Star Properties, who's our primary sponsor for the first four, um, I guess, uh, for September of the the football post game shows and obviously of course James you came up clutch with the with the Dana Homerson clips and then being able to join after um I think overall it couldn't have gone any better so I'm just thankful for for both of you and uh we'll do it again this upcoming Saturday mm-hmm. uh when U of H takes on Texas Tech and then uh, obviously of course when it comes to my stuff um once again covering UH in print or not print I guess web uh for gallerysports.com that launched on Friday um Mattress Mac decided to launch his own um sports coverage website so I'm covering the University of Houston Athletics for them I'm exciting for that opportunity for once again to be able to stick around and, and cover UH in in a different avenue and obviously of course let's rage coops coming up on Saturday Pots on Pajama on Twitter and 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube on Clear City Control. Great job, Andy. Again, James. Well, um, these youngsters are any indication of the future. It's in good hands. They did a yeah. great job yesterday on the post game show. I'm Chris Gardner of Houston Round Bar Review. See me on Twitter, VHR Review. Um, as Andy touched on, got sponsored for Let's Rage Cougs. Got good news. Have a sponsor for Folk Talk of Sports. Will be announced for basketball season in November throughout the season. We're going to ride that cougar wave, Will. We're going to ride as long as we can, man. So good news there. But you can follow me on Twitter at ZHR Review. Go to the Houston Round Bar Review YouTube channel, Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram, HoustonRoundBarReview.com. A lot of fun. Thank you very much, everybody, for chiming in today, joining us on Folks Talk Sports Twitter account, on Houston Round Bar Review YouTube channel. Will, Andy, James, thank you again. Enjoy your Labor Day. Will, good luck on your fantasy football draft. Thank you, sir. And we will see everybody next week. And NFL season starts. Oh, yeah. So next Sunday, Will, Browns? Yeah, they're on the road, so I should be cool. Okay. At what time? Uh, Seven's cool. Okay. Yeah, that's six, Eastern. 6 p.m. window is probably the best right before when the second window closes and right before Sunday night football. Okay. Yeah. All right, everybody. Till next Sunday. Take care. All right, sir. Peace. Deal. Yeah.